The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Well, starting today, and insofar as I can tell, at least for the next two weeks after today, we're going to be looking at what is pretty commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll be rereading these verses in the Sundays to come. This morning we're going to be concentrating on verses 5 through 8, the teaching that Jesus gives on prayer before he actually models what prayer looks like for us. The sermon title that I'm giving to our time this morning is called this, In the School of Prayer in the school of prayer, and I'm calling it part one because, as I just said, I believe there's going to be a part two and a part three in the weeks to come. But looking at part one in the school of prayer, Christ is the master, he's the teacher, he's going to teach us how to pray. I think a good main idea that summarizes why Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, why we need to be taught how to pray is because of this main idea that the missionary need of God's people is to be taught to pray. We are missionaries. We are called to go make, mature, and multiply disciples. That isn't something we accomplish for just two hours on a Sunday, but the large majority, the bulk of that happens six days in the 22 hours that we find ourselves out beyond our gathering here on a Sunday morning. And as missionaries go, we, God's people, who are these missionaries, we go as people who need to be taught to pray because, as we just said a little while ago, we're desperate, right? We are desperate children who need the Father, and we can go to Him in prayer. My assumption is that you find yourself like me. One of the hardest things to do is to what? Pray. Some of us, we've never been taught how to pray. Some of us, we just sort of assumed we'd figure it out one of these days. So we still have yet to just learn how to grow in healthy rhythms of prayer. 
The beautiful thing is that there is a school in which Christ the teacher teaches us. And in the school of prayer, he's going to show us three different lessons. And that is what we find in verses 5 through 8 this morning. In the school of prayer, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. The reason why we're looking at this is it's simply just building off of the foundation that we looked at and we began over the past two weeks. We went into Luke chapter 9, and for your mind's eye, you can view those verses, those 50 verses we looked at in Luke 9 as a foundation. We dug out the hole, we poured the concrete, we set the forms, and now we have the firm foundation that because of who Christ is, he is the Christ, and what this means is that as the Christ, he must come, suffer, die, and rise again. We said that that reality has an impact on our followership, our pursuit of Jesus. It means we are going to follow in the master's footsteps. That's why he called us to deny self, pick up cross, and follow him. We're basically mimicking the teacher. We're mimicking the master. And now what we're going to do is, on top of that foundation, begin to build the wood construction. We're going to begin to put the plumbing in. We're going to begin to put in the electrical work and the roof and the drywall and the fixtures and these sorts of things. As the weeks go by, we're going to build on that foundation specifically as it relates to the missionary need of being a people individually and corporately who pray. Pray in desperation, praying to our Father promises of the words taught to us by Jesus here. So I'm going to pause. I am going to pray. I invite you to join me. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, I'm so glad he is saying this. I've been following Jesus for fill in the blank number of years, and no one has ever taught me how to pray. Good news is Jesus is going to do that for you and for me this morning. Maybe you need to pray, Jesus, help me. I'm a willing student right now. Maybe some of us are here stifling a yawn. Prayer, who cares? Or prayer, I've got that thing figured out. Maybe we would be so humble as to admit that the unsearchable riches of Christ are just that, unsearchable. Maybe you just haven't quite searched out the riches of prayer yet. Maybe you can humbly admit that. Translation is this. We need Jesus today, amen? I need Jesus today. And my hope is that through the power of the Holy Spirit through me, we would hear the word taught and you would see Jesus and go out today mimicking Jesus all that much more because the Holy Spirit moved in answer to our prayers that we're about to pray right now, okay? So with that invitation before you, I encourage you, go to prayer right now and ask the Holy Spirit to do this work in you, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we're here to see you glorified. Lord Jesus, we want to see you lifted up. We need your instruction on how to pray. And so I'm asking Lord, you would turn our hearts to be like Samuel, who in response to the calling of the Lord God was instructed to respond, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
Lord, make those words true in our hearts and minds this morning. Holy Spirit, would you baptize this time, drench this time with your power, with your might, with your ability to do what you love to do, which is to arrest our attention, cause distraction to fade away, so that we might behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ as preached from the Scriptures, so that we might see our teacher in kindness shepherd us, so that we would be praying disciples who follow him. King Jesus, do this for your name, for your glory, for the spread of the gospel here in Springfield, Illinois, and beyond. Amen. Think about this topic of prayer, right? Prayer is the topic before us. As a Christian, in regards to this topic of prayer, as a Christian, hardly any other topic has the power to stir up deep hope in our hearts while simultaneously hearing a pastor get up and talk about prayer to stir within us a deep sense of crippling shame. What do I mean about this? Well, on one hand, when you hear someone talk about prayer, when you read a book on prayer, when you hear a sermon on prayer, this topic of prayer has the power to stir up hope within us because of what prayer is. Just think about what prayer is. There's a beauty to prayer. There's a desperation to prayer. The beauty of prayer is that we sinners saved by grace, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been adopted into his family. We now have a father, a father who loves us, a father who cares for us, a father who is attentive to us, a father who is good, a father who loves to meet with his children. That's beautiful. And we get to do this through prayer. That's the beauty of prayer. But there's also this beautiful desperation to prayer because when we recognize that in Christ we are adopted into the family of God, this means we are children in the family of God. And as God's children, we come with the posture, the heart, the mind of the way we see little children here on earth running around is they recognize their need. They are desperate for their mommy, desperate for their daddy to do what only a mommy or daddy can do. And in that similar kind of sense, that's the beautiful desperation of prayer. Prayer is recognizing I'm the child. He's the good father. I'm coming to him to worship him, to adore him, to confess to him, to give thanks to him, but also to make my requests of him, to make my needs known. It's a beautiful desperation to prayer. So on one hand, there is this beautiful, beautiful idea, the desperation of prayer. This topic can stir within us great hope because of what prayer is. But on the other hand, this topic can also stir within us a sense of crippling shame, deep crippling shame. Because if there's one thing we want to do more, if there's one thing we struggle to make time for, if there's one thing we want to grow in but we are not sure how to grow in, is this very thing called prayer. And for reasons like these, and I'm sure a hundred more, the hidden conflict in so many of our hearts is that struggle in prayer 
This thing that I struggle to do, the struggle to make time for, to struggle to know how to do, this struggle is my secret shame alone. No one else struggles with this. And so what we do is we turn inward and we turn, we turn in on ourselves and we don't make it known that I don't know how to pray. I need someone to show me how to pray. Will you help me how to pray? Will you model for me what prayer looks like because we are stricken with shame, this conflict just boils over in our hearts because we think, surely I am the only one in this place. But I want to assure you that nothing could be further from the truth. One of the great reformers in the Protestant Reformation was a man named Martin Luther. I'm sure you've probably heard of his name. And at perhaps one of the busiest times in his very busy life, he wrote the following to his friend named Philip Melanchthon. And this is what he wrote to his friend Philip. He said, Your high opinion of me shames and tortures me, since unfortunately I sit here like a fool, hardened in leisure, pray little, do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh and lust, laziness, leisure, and sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied. This is partly because of temptations of the flesh and partly because I am tortured by other burdens." And all God's people said, Amen. Anyone here find themselves hardened in leisure, praying little, not sighing or groaning for the church of God in prayer, ardent in flesh, ardent in lust, ardent in laziness, ardent in leisure, ardent in sleepiness, not having prayed or studied for multiple days in a row, mainly because of temptations in the flesh and mainly because we just give ourselves over to other things besides prayer. Yeah? Okay. Now, I think what makes this confession so endearing on the part of Luther is that Luther is just willing to voice outwardly what every one of us here struggle with inwardly. We read this and we go, okay, that's me. Like, here is a man who recognizes that I have a struggle in these things and he is just willing to say out loud what we are also unwilling to say out loud because the conflict and the shame and the guilt of it just really sort of clamps in on us and it sort of seizes us with fear. I mean, how many of us can resonate with that kind of struggle? Many of us can, if not all of us. You see, on one hand, we know that prayer is necessary. We know that prayer is necessary, yet we also know this. We know prayer does not come naturally to us. It's just not the natural thing we lean into. So the question is, what can we do? You see, it's for very real reasons like these that we saw in that quote and very real reasons that you might say, man, I can add another 30 things to that list of what keeps me from prayer. It's for reasons like these that I find the disciples' request in Luke chapter 11 to be so comforting. What we have in front of us in Matthew 6, 
Luke writes in his gospel in Luke chapter 11. They are overlapping accounts. The difference, though, is in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us why Jesus began to teach these things to the disciples. And what he does is he tells us that in Luke's gospel, 11, chapter 11, verse 1, here's the comforting news. Luke says that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and apparently his disciples were watching this. And so when Jesus gets done praying in this certain place, he finishes, one of his disciples comes up to him and says, Lord, I need you, we need you to teach us how to pray like that to the Father. Out of all the interactions the disciples had with Jesus, just think about what we've seen so far in Luke's gospel. They are having daily interactions with Jesus. And out of all the times that they've had these interactions with Jesus, and I'm sure they probably asked Jesus to teach them about certain things in their interactions with Jesus, this particular request stands out as the only record in Scripture where the disciples come to Jesus and say, we need you to teach us. It's the only example in Scripture that tells me something that There is something here with prayer that we need to know. They come and say, teach us, Jesus. They're effectively saying to Jesus, we need to learn. We don't know how. We're not going to fake it. Would you teach us? Jesus, we know how to talk to our friends. Very easy. Jesus, we even know how to talk to you when you're right here in front of us. We know how to do this. But prayer seems like something different, and it's something we don't know how to do. Master, teacher, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? What does Jesus do? He responds with instructions that synthesize how the Bible talks about prayer. It's as if Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, gather around students. What you need to know is that class is now in session. You are now enrolled in the school of prayer. And in my schoolhouse, I am going to teach you to pray. I'm going to answer your request. And the first thing that he begins to teach his disciples is lesson number one, that I must have a secret place for prayer. That I must have a secret place for prayer. Look in your Bible, starting in Matthew chapter 6. Remember, this is Jesus teaching you right now. I don't know how to pray. Jesus says, this is how you pray. You need to go. You need to have. You must have that secret place, the quiet place, where you can go and be alone with your Father in prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, here it is, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. I think one common observation that is often made about these verses is how Jesus speaks about prayer. Three different times, notice that in verses 5 through 8, Jesus does not say, if you pray, but when you pray. Just like breathing isn't... Listen, now here's a, here's a pretty potent, powerful, gut-punchy truth about prayer. Just like breathing is necessary to be alive, so prayer is equally necessary to our Christian existence. 
Try to hold your breath, not breathe, and see how long you live. The equally true thing is see how long you can go without praying and see if you are growing in your Christian existence. I say that's a potent definition of prayer, potent and powerful understanding of prayer, because here's the problem. Just because you and I know that something is necessary for life doesn't mean it comes naturally to us. All of us can shake our head on that quote on the screen, right? Prayer is like breathing. Just like I got to breathe to be alive, I need to, I need to pray. It's like the inhale and the exhale of my Christian existence. But just because we know something is necessary does not mean it comes naturally to us. Maybe you're like me. I cannot count the number of times in my life where the most necessary need of the moment was prayer, but for whatever reason, in the moment, prayer seemed so unnatural in that moment. Anybody? The cancer diagnosis comes. The answer that you will no longer be working here because you've now lost your job. Your child that you thought you were going to have has passed in the womb. Your mother has died in a car wreck. Your child is failing school. Your spouse comes and says, I've got some pretty heavy news for you. Fill in that blank with anything in your life, any situation, any circumstance to where you can say this is a moment where the most necessary thing for me right now is to bend my knees in desperation and go to prayer, to the Father in prayer. But in that moment, prayer seemed so unnatural. It seemed less like breathing and it seemed more like suffocating as you sputtered and gasped your way through the moment. I mean, anybody? See, if you've been here before, then Jesus has very good news for you right now in the school of prayer. Yes, prayer is like breathing, Jesus says. Prayer is vital. Prayer is necessary to spiritual life. And for this reason, Jesus speaks of prayer not in terms of ifs, but whens. Jesus knows these sorts of things. But here's what Jesus also knows. Just as equally true, Jesus knows our need to breathe in prayer, which is why he shepherds us kindly to breathe again in the school of prayer. Jesus knows what is very necessary for for us is not necessarily natural to us. And so Jesus doesn't kick us in the rear and say, go figure it out. Come back once you've got it figured out in kindness, in gentleness, in lowliness. He leads us, takes us by the hand, ushers us into the school of prayer and says, let me show you how to breathe again. This is kind of him. So you go into verse five and we see there is a way to pray. In verse 5, there is a way to pray that is marked by hypocrisy. When you pray, verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites. For what do they do? How do the hypocrites pray? They love to pray to be seen by others. So born out of a desire for the approval of men, prayer can be twisted into a vehicle That gives us what we want. But, says Jesus, that is all you will gain and nothing more. If you want the approval of men, you can pray in such a way to get what you want. You can twist this breathing to get what you want, but that's all you're going to get. 
But, he says, for the self-denying, for the cross-caring follower of Jesus, here's what I'm teaching you to do. In the school of prayer, learn this lesson that when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. This is lesson number one in the school of prayer. What Jesus is teaching here is that prayer is essentially private. Unlike the hypocrites who love to pray to be seen by others, Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door. Now, this doesn't mean prayer can only be done in a room and behind closed doors. Jesus isn't saying that you need to go into your home this afternoon after you've stopped at Lowe's, bought some two-bys, bought some drywall, bought some mud and tape, and you go into the little corner of your house and you build this tiny little secret room that no one knows about so you can sneak in there sometimes when people don't know you're going in there and pray. That's not the idea there. The principle is this. You're going into your room. You're going and shutting the door because you're going into prayer with the attitude unlike the hypocrites. I'm not going to the Father to try to show everyone else how awesome I am. I'm going to the Father because I'm desperate for the Father. I'm going to the Father because I'm His child and He's, he's my Father and I, I need Him. There's an audience of one and He is it. So this doesn't mean prayer can only be done in a room and behind closed doors, but Jesus is saying this, you need to find a spot where you can meet with the Father daily. This feels so rudimentary, but some of us have just never taken the instruction of the master and how to pray. Could it be that your struggle, my struggle in prayer is this, is that we don't find the rhythms in our days to intentionally say, Father, I will meet with you at such and such a time. Again, I mean, this isn't like prayer 101. This is a prayer like negative 2001. You're like, dude, this is elementary, man. But Jesus is, this is what we're teaching. This is what he's teaching. This is the school of prayer. This is how to pray. I know that when prayerlessness is sort of where I'm at in my life, a lot of it comes down to this. I'm not making the time to say at such and such place and such and such time, I'm going to meet with my father. And if I don't schedule it, guess what happens? Something else sucks up the space, and prayerlessness is what takes place. Jesus is saying, find a spot where you can meet with the Father daily. Your meeting place can be anywhere. It can even change from day to day. If you're traveling here, if you're traveling there, it can be in the car for the 20 minutes on the car ride in. It can be before you drink your coffee. It can be after you've had your coffee, and it can be before you eat breakfast. It can be in the evening. It can be on your lunch break. The point is not the location. The point is who are you meeting with? I've gone out of my way to say today at this time and this place, Father, I'm going to go in the quiet place, the secret place, and I'm going to meet with you. The point is that we must find this place where we can be alone and notice what Jesus says, pray to our Father who is in that secret place. You see, in the secret place of prayer, our Father is waiting for us. Do you see how Jesus is painting the schoolroom of prayer with the beautiful enticements of intimacy with the Father? He's not saying go to this place it's going to be pure and absolute drudgery. Go to this place because nine times out of ten it's just going to be you and the Father's going to be who knows where. He's saying, no, come to this place because when you go to meet him, guess who's always going to be there ready to meet you? The Father. 
That is why you're going, because you have the promise of the Father being there with you. So much prayerlessness in my life is I refuse to believe this promise. I don't know if he wants to hear from me today. My heart is cold. My heart is dark. My heart is doubting. I'm just not sure if I go in there, he will be there to meet with me. Jesus says, lesson one, school of prayer, you need to know this. Whether you're flaming hot for Christ or whether your heart is stone cold, what you need to know to go into the secret place, you will find your father who is in that secret place ready and waiting for you. You have to understand this in the school of prayer. This is how we begin to grow in prayer. This is where the Father is always found. For many Christians, again, as I just said, we've grown cold, we've grown dark in prayer, we've grown weak and discouraged in prayer because our prayer life is not what it could be. I mean, how many of us could come up here and take this mic and say, let me tell you 100 ways for why my prayer life is not what it could be. We know these things, but what we often do is then turn around and say, because I know what it could be, I'm going to let what it could be drive me to not go into prayer. We see how we have failed in a sense. We see how it could be more and we let the it could be more prevent me from just being obedient to what it could be now. We're crippled by guilt, crippled by shame at our prayerlessness, but hear the words of the teacher. Don't let a cold and prayerless heart keep you from the presence of your loving Father. Listen to your teacher. Cling to the promise that in the secret, in the quiet place, lesson one is absolutely true. The Father is waiting for you, child, there in that place. That is where prayer begins. That is lesson one in the school of prayer. Now notice Jesus rolls right into lesson two. And what is lesson two? Secret prayer cannot be fruitless. Secret prayer cannot be fruitless. The reason why we go to the Father in secret, the reason why we pray to our Father who is in secret, Jesus assures us at the end of verse six, is because your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Secret prayer cannot be fruitless. And teaching how to pray, lesson one and lesson two, they ride and die together. What makes the invitation in lesson one, pray to your father who is in secret, so enticing is that in lesson number two, Jesus assures us that your father sees in secret. He sees you. He knows you. He understands what it is going on in your life. He's neither blind to your circumstance. He's neither blind to your situation. He sees where you are. He sees where you want to be. He sees past your outward appearance he sees right into the heart. He sees your mind. He discerns your motives. He knows why you were there. You are known in that moment. There's a reason why you see memes or hashtags or whatever of, I feel seen, right? Someone says something, you're like, man, I feel seen right now. What's the intimation of the heart in that moment? Man, I didn't think anybody knew this sort of intimate part about me, but this thing zooms right in on it, and this thing gets me. What you need to know is that in prayer, private prayer with the Father, you are seen. You are known. You're not speaking to a Father who is blinded 
to where you are. But notice that Jesus says in the lesson number two that your father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Teach us to pray, said the disciples. This is how to pray, says Jesus. Pray knowing that secret prayer cannot be fruitless. It cannot be fruitless. Because God is your Father, meet Him with childlike simplicity and be confident that your prayer will receive a blessing. Somehow, some way, some manner. You will know the blessing and reward of prayer. How often has prayerlessness kept you or how often has this thought kept you prayerless? I just don't know that he really cares. I don't know that he really sees. I'm pretty sure he doesn't care to bless. I'm pretty sure he doesn't care to reward. I'm pretty sure he's a stingy, apathetic, aloof, passive, insensitive father who doesn't want anything to do with me whatsoever. Jesus says, that is not the case. This is where knowing your Bible is good. The attributes and characteristics of God invite you to lean into the fatherliness of the Father. Do you know what I mean by this? The fatherliness of the Father? Our Father is the good, good Father. He cannot not give good gifts. In his fatherliness, he knows the need of his children. In his fatherliness, he loves his children. In his fatherliness, he has a kind and caring, attentive movement toward his children. And so when Jesus is saying, go to your father, he's there, he will meet you. And know this, the reward of blessing is multitude. It's a treasure house of reward that you find in prayer. To pray in this way, where with childlike simplicity, you're confident and it moves you to pray, knowing that secret prayer cannot be fruitless. To adopt this mindset in trust that Jesus is not leading us astray. Is to go into prayer in a way where we go in leaning entirely on the fatherliness of the Heavenly Father. To pray in this way that Jesus is instructing us is to pray that the to, is to trust that the author of Hebrews meant what he said when the author of Hebrews wrote, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him. Either he's writing a complete lie and we need to be done with the scriptures or carried along by the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews is telling us the truth. That those who draw near to God must believe that he rewards those who seek him. That the father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, 
The blessing of prayer does not depend on the strong or fervent feelings with which we pray. Jesus isn't saying going in with some kind of name and reclaim it mentality where you go in and say, I'm going to be really fervent in prayer, really earnest in words. I'm going to heap up a thousand words where two would have done, and I'm really going to coax God to give me what I want. That's how I'm going to get the rewards. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is no genie God granting us our wishes. Rather, the blessing of prayer has everything to do with our good Father who in his fatherliness rewards his children who seek him in prayer. In prayer, what are these blessings? What are these rewards? We can know the blessing of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are indeed his child. You can know this blessing in prayer. In prayer, we can know the blessing and be granted the strong assurance of his fatherhood and love. I met with my father today, and in his kindness, he cared for my soul, and he whispered to me, I am his because of Christ. You can know this reward and blessing in prayer. In prayer, we can know the reward of his peace that's been planted in our hearts, rooted in Christ. In prayer, our soul can be refreshed, our hunger satisfied, our thirst quenched. These are the blessings of prayer. We know we are no longer orphans, for the Father has adopted us. We can know that we are no longer prodigals, for we have been forgiven. In prayer, we can know the reward and the blessing that I am no longer alienated, for I have come home to the Father in Christ. We can know the blessing of intimacy and time spent with Him. We can know the reward of His listening ear in the secret place where He's not doing to me what I so often do to my children. What do I do to my children? Because I'm not a good father all the time as they come to me with their needs and I plug my ears. I'm busy with other things. They're annoying me and I want them to leave quickly because they are bothering me with a request. We do not get that from the Father. We get the intimacy of His ear intensely bent to us in our needs. And yes, I would argue that the blessing of prayers prayed in secret is that sometimes those secret prayers are rewarded openly by the Father's direct answer to legitimate, tangible needs that we have. The blessings of prayer. Because these things are true, pray to your Father who is in secret. And then leave in confidence, knowing that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Lastly, Jesus teaches us how to pray with lesson three. My Father knows what I need. Question. Growing up in your home, did your earthly father always know what you needed? Raise your hands. Pure, 100%, absolute, every time, never failed, knew what you needed every stinking time. Come on. (laughs) Nobody. There's a sense in which all of our hands could have gone up Because in Christ, we do have a Father who does. You have a Father who knows your need before you even come and ask Him. You have a Father who knows you so intimately in the secret place 
He knows how to best care for you in that need before you even utter it on your lips. Notice the grounds of assurance that Jesus gives in the school of prayer. Your father sees in secret and your father knows. He sees and knows. He's not aloof, distant, ignorant. Before you ask him, Jesus says, he knows what you need. And while this may feel like an excuse to avoid prayer, some of us are probably thinking this, well, my father knows what I need before I ask him. This is proof and evidence for why I don't need to go to him in prayer. He already knows. Why pray? Some of us might be thinking that right now. That's not Jesus' point. While this may feel like an excuse to avoid prayer, to think, well, if God knows what I need, then he knows I don't need to pray to him because he's going to give it one way or the other. He's going to act one way or the other. He definitely doesn't need me bothering him with what he already knows about me. But the fact that Jesus is saying here, but the fact that God knows what you need before you ask him, it's not a deterrent to prayer. It's actually the full-blown incentive to run right into him in prayer. Again, think about your children. Think about you as a child. When you had a need, while it's true your father, your earthly father, may not have known every need, there is a backside to that truth. Your father often did know your need. (laughs) And you could go to him in your need, and if your father, when you sort of came to the realization, like my earthly father, like he knows my needs, did that stop you from going to him? No, it drove me to go to my father, because like if he already knows what I need, there's already a good guess that he has the solution and a way to provide for me. And because he loves me, he is there just sort of ready and willing to pour out the blessing and the reward of the request. It's just me coming to him as meeting him in that special place where his desire, preloaded desire to love and care for me in attentive ways is meshed perfectly with me coming and saying, Father, will you meet my need? I'm not going anywhere else to meet my need. I need you to meet my need need. In similar ways, Jesus is painting the exact same pictures here. This is not deterrent. This is incentive to pray. In the school of prayer, we must learn the lesson. We do not need to compel an unwilling father to listen to us. In the school of prayer, we have to learn the lesson that we don't have to coax the father to have a care. In Christ, I am a child of God, and as his child, I have his care and his attention. Thus, there's no need to heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. No need to pile up many words. I don't need to try to corner him or really convince him that now's the time that you need to have a care. I don't have to do this. I can go in as a child. In a verbal way, I can go to the Father and do this. Have you ever seen a little kid do this? Can't talk yet? sitting on the floor in the kitchen, watching the parents go by in ways that we probably will never fully understand. A little thought enters their precious little mind. I need my daddy right now. That little child doesn't get up and go, <clears throat> thouest dear fatherest, I need you to answer my requesteth because I have a need to be held by you. If the child did that, they probably deserve to be spanked, all right? What does that little child do? No mountains of words. No empty phrases. My heart 
has a need for my daddy. In prayer, we're saying the same thing. I'm a child. You're my father. And in Christ, I need you. In confidence, we pray this. Because the father sees, the father knows, because the father hears. And I can go on my way knowing that in some way, shape, or form, the reward and blessing of prayer will come. What is this? This is Jesus in the school of prayer teaching us to do this again. Cancer diagnosis. Father, I need you. Shocking news at work. Father, I need you. Trouble in my family. Father, I need you. This life plan didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. Father, I need you. This is shepherding on the part of the Father. This is love on part of the, the teacher. This is how we pray. This is how we pray. Now, just get out there and go do it in and of yourselves. No. Remember everything we've talked about the past couple weeks. Even this very thing invites us to deny self, pick up cross, follow him. Not self-reliance, but in Christ-reliance. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, would you move in ways right now that I'm positive I can't even articulate? My hunch, if there is anyone here this morning that is even remotely like me, the possibility that the deep, crippling shame and guilt of prayerlessness has got a pretty sharp hold maybe even on our hearts and our mind right now. Lord, would you shepherd us? Would you grab us? Would you take your right arm as it were and lift our eyes to meet the gaze of your eyes and see that with the gaze of the Father looking upon us, the thousand words He's speaking with that gaze is this, come lay your burden down. Come just lay it down at my feet. Run home into the arms of the Father. Don't allow prayerlessness in the past to dictate your future. I'm in the secret. I'm right here in the quiet place. 
My arms are open wide. I am willing and ready to meet with you. You can come to me in confidence right now that you will be met with the fatherliness of all that I am. Lord, bring us to this place for your name and for your glory, for the sheer intimacy of growing deeper in Christ. Would you bring us to this place? Lord, some of us probably just need to sit and pray through the songs that are coming. Some of us might need to stand and sing at the top of our lungs. But Lord, would you lead us to respond to the fatherliness of the Father with joy and anticipation of the intimacy that can come and will come. Christ, do this for your name, for your glory. Amen.